Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development program that changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to message number four in this series, Heart to Heart and the Holy of Holies. And today we're going to be talking about divine friends. Now, any of you that know my background, you know that I come from a, a hippie background. Now, as such, uh, I come from a, a culture that basically values people and values relationships far more than having value for material goods or for wealth or for or for personal resources. You know, my my life motto, even before I ever gave my life to Jesus, my life motto was based on the fact that uh, the only thing you could take out of this life with you were your friends. And so I've always had this incredible, incredible value for friends. Well, when I began to first search the Word of God, when I gave my life to Jesus, it was really interesting because first I didn't I didn't have a deeply religious or rigid view of God. Yet, the more I walked with God, the more I prayed, the more I read the Bible, the more I saw the glory of God expressed in His Word, the more I actually uh, developed this awe and this respect. You know, when the Bible talks about having the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, uh, it, that, that word fear has to do with an awe. It has to do with a respect. It has to do with, you know, with holding in and high regard and that sort of thing. So, so, so I had this, I had this friendship type relationship with God and really out of that friendship relationship with God and seeing who he was and understanding uh, the truth of his ways and his character and his nature, I actually took on a greater reverence for him than I had originally had. Now, what was interesting is even though I took on this great reverence for him, I still did not lose that friendship aspect of relating to God. Now, I'm telling you, uh, it is so easy for any of us to go to a place where we're either way too casual with God or we become way too formal uh, and ceremonial with God. And really, when you go to either one of those extremes, it's not that you're being false. It's not that you're being hypocritical. It's not that you're really even doing anything wrong but you're really missing out on some of the incredible aspects of what a relationship with God should be like. As a matter of fact, I think, I think one of the greatest struggles of the human race today is we don't know how to have relationships. We don't really know how to communicate, even with the people that we love, even with the people that we're closest to. Uh, we have incredible struggles with being open, with being honest, with being uh, able to admit our faults, with being able to trust each other. It, it, it's the ability to have relationships just seems to me to be the modern modern human uh, emotional cancer, if you will. So I'm not I'm not trying to move anyone toward being overly formal or being overly casual, as much as I'm trying to move people to a place to to always be genuine with God, to always be honoring and respectful with God, yet to always be deeply, deeply uh, uh, personal with God. You know, I didn't know this, but 
And many of you probably do know this, but you know, in parts of India, you will hear people uh, address uh, maybe an elderly person or a statesman or a person of honor, and they will dress them maybe in in a uh, in a personal way, but then they will put uh, the letter G on the end of it. You know, Gandhi, who is incredibly famous in India, you know, they used to call him Gandhi G. And you always wonder, what was that G all about? And I, I, I had the opportunity to talk to some people from India, from, from a part of India that used that terminology. And, uh, and it was so insightful to, to see what they, what they had to share. Because because what they were what they pointed out was the fact that uh, for example by calling him Gandhi by his first name uh, this was really a, a a show of friendship personal connection but the G and I don't remember what it stood for but the G was also a show of uh, of respect of uh, of allegiance of uh, of awe and holding a person in high regard. And I was I was so impressed by that, and I thought that is so much what we need in our relationship with God. You know, uh, we can know God as as God and Father. We can know Him as uh, as uh, Daddy. Of course, the word Father, as it's used uh, by the Lord Jesus, is a very uh, intimate term. But there's not just one static way of addressing God. And a lot of it has to do with the moment. A lot of it has to do with what you're seeking to express to God uh, in, in that situation. But when you when you start looking at the tabernacle and you start looking at entering into this place that's called the Holy of Holies, where you have this deep, intimate, personal connection with God, you find these paradoxes where, on the one hand, you have you have very formal uh procedures if you will about what you evoke in your heart whenever you seek to go into the holy of holies if you're the high priest you're 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 going to go through several processes there now keep in mind all of the ceremonial process of processes of going into the holy of holies and standing before the mercy seat and encountering the glory of god in that place uh, uh, all of those processes are, are very, very paradoxical in that on the one hand, they are designed so, to remind us that we should evoke certain things in our heart. We should remind ourselves. As a matter of fact, all of the Old Testament rituals, all the Old Testament ceremonies and sacrifices uh, are first and foremost, first and foremost, uh, observed as a remembrance, to remember something about who God is, something about what God does. But also, it's a rehearsal for something that is better that, that is to come. All of the sacrifices, for example, the seven, the seven feasts of the nation of Israel, all of them were designed to get the children of Israel to look back and remember what God did for them, remember how powerful God was, remember the greatness of God. So, so, uh, so on on the one hand, uh, there's this deep gratitude. There's this deep thankfulness. There's this, this remembrance. There's this awe. There's this stirring. But but that word also means to rehearse, which means even though you're looking back and you're using this to stir up your faith about some, uh, through something that has already happened, 
you are stirring up your faith so that you can participate in something that has not happened yet. That's why it's so important that we understand the seven feasts of Israel, by the way, because every one of the seven feasts of Israel are fulfilled in either the first or the second coming of the Lord Jesus, ultimately. Now, they're, they're fulfilled in a lot of other ways besides that. But, but the whole idea is to look back, remember what God has done, St stir up faith and trust in your heart and rehearse that and believe for the promise of what he is saying he will do in the future. Well, it's much like that when you enter into the Holy of Holies. You're going, you're going through the, you're, you're going past the brazen altar. You're going past the, uh, the, the, the uh, sea, the water where they wash their hands off and, and ceremony, ceremonial, ceremonially cleanse themselves. You're going up the steps, approaching the holy place. You're observing the two columns that represent different aspects of the character and the nature of God. You're going into the holy place. You're seeing the showbread, the bread of his presence. You're reminding yourself of, of how God has always been present or however he's been present in your life. You're looking at the menorah, the light of, of, of God in the world, the light of God in your heart, the light of God in your life. You're looking at the, you're looking at the altar of incense, which is which is God, your prayers and your praise and your worship going up before God as a sweet smell and sacrifice that he looks forward to, that he completely enjoys. Then you're, then you're going through the curtain into the Holy of Holies, and that curtain represents the, the flesh of Jesus, his body that was torn for us. And, and then we go into that place, and, and in there we find the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant has the manna. It has Aaron's rod that was budded. It has the Ten Commandments. It has the mercy seat. It has a cherubim. And that's where the presence of God is manifest. Every one of those stages, every one of those steps, really, we should be deliberately using each one of those things to remind ourselves of what Jesus has already done for us, how he has opened that way to us, how he has washed us with his blood. But then also, we should be using that as a rehearsal to an intimate encounter with him, to the expectation of having a deep, deep, deep personal experience to him. So everything that you do with God is always go going to be based on what he has already done. That's going to be used to stir up your faith, remind you of your confidence that you have in God. But it's also going to be a rehearsal for something that he has promised and has yet to fulfill in, in our lives. Man, I'm telling you, I get so excited when anytime I begin to think about every aspect of, the, of going into the temple. I get excited when I think about every aspect of any of the sacrifices from the Old Testament because, because I always look back and use those things that God did in the past, those promises that he kept in the past to remind me of his faithfulness for all of the promises that we have in the future. Now, when Moses would go into the tent of meeting, and we've already talked a little bit about the tent of meeting, I want to read this to you because I'm going to cut through here as fast as I can. I will go into greater detail in this in the audio series just because I will have more time to do it. And so I want to really encourage you to, to dive into the audio series uh, that will help you develop your heart more in the sense of, of learning how to activate faith when entering into the presence of God. And also, it will teach you to activate your faith for the promises of God, you know, that, that are yet to come. 
So be sure and, and uh, get your uh, uh, your audio series. It's an eight message audio series, and we're making it available to you at a very special price. And you will be investing in yourself, but you'll also be investing in people all over the world because we will use that money to reach the entire world. Exodus 33, verse 7 says, Now Moses would take a tent and pitch it outside the camp uh, a good distance from the camp, and, and he called it the tent of meeting. Why? Because that's where he met with God. And it came about that everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting which was outside the camp, thus the Lord would speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. Now, I just want to remind you, God, even though God was speaking face to face, that term is really a reference to how friends connect face to face, honestly, openly, nothing hidden, nothing between them, no lies, no deceit, no deception. Nothing kept back. I'm telling you, that's how God wants to relate to us. God wants to, you know, there, 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 is, there is, is one description of God relating to us uh, like a tree that has had the bark torn off of the tree. And and in this in this particular use of the language, it's, it's showing God as a tree who has torn the bark off of, of the tree so that his heart is exposed to you. So there's absolutely nothing between you and the heart of God. So, so, so God would meet face to face with Moses like a man would with his friend, but then his communication would be heart to heart. And I'm telling you, we could spend hours and hours and hours on the whole heart to heart communication thing. Now, when I look at this, this phrase about God meeting with Moses, like a friend, I don't, I'm telling you, this stirs up in me, everything about who I have been as a person, uh, uh, all of my adult life, and my passion to have meaningful friendships, meaningful relationships. Now, back years ago, I know there have been several songs about Abraham being the friend of God. God very openly and directly refers to Abraham as the friend of God. But I, I, I want to pitch out something here, a concept that, uh, that, that I love and that I embrace, and I see people experience this in their personal life all the time. You know, I believe that God has these unique relationships with his friends, and I call them I call them prophetic friendships. Now, I'm not saying that these people are prophets, even though probably everyone on this list was identified as a prophet, but I am saying the relationship and the communication that takes place between a person who meets heart to heart and face to face with God is going to be a prophetic relationship. It's going to be a relationship where God is going to inform you of what's going on, what's going on in the world around you, but mainly about what's going on in your world. You know, I'm just going to mention a few, even though I could mention more than this, people in the Old Testament that were friends of God. And because they were friends of God, they actually uh, enjoyed communication with God where they got warnings, they got direction, they got protection. And if anything was going to happen in their world, God would let them know. You know, one of the very, very first people, one of the most unique people, I think, of all of the, uh, almost in all of the scripture other than Jesus is Enoch. I think back about Enoch. You know, Enoch brought the first prophecy about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we don't know much about Enoch. All we know about Enoch was that he walked with God. Now, you have to keep in mind 
that Enoch uh, was the father of, of, uh, of the man who lived longer than anyone who had ever lived, Methuselah. And Methuselah's name meant when he is gone, it shall come. And so in his communication with God, as God prepared him for what was coming on planet Earth, he let him know that when, when Methuselah died, when he left, when he was gone, that's when the flood was going to come. Now, stop and think about it. Methuselah lived to be 969 years. That meant that God gave Noah a message of repentance to preach to the world for 969 years uh, in advance of, of what was going to happen because he wanted to turn the world to him. He wanted to turn the world from wickedness. But stop and think. Enoch, you know, when it talks about the fact that he just walked with God, you're like, what does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means he was just a friend of God. It means that even though he had this very, very deep, intimate relationship with God, uh, more than anything, uh, he related to God face-to-face -face and heart-to-heart -heart and communicated with God the way God would communicate with a friend. Same thing with Noah. I mean, God warned Noah of what was coming. God warned Noah of how to prepare to escape the flood that was coming in the world. God warned Noah about how to prepare his family. God warned Noah of what his role was and, and how God wanted to use him to preserve planet Earth. So what were they? They were friends, and for hundreds of years, they talked, they shared. Noah grew in his knowledge and his confidence. God, I get, can guarantee you this. Throughout those hundreds of years, before Noah ever built the ark, I guarantee you this, every encounter he had with God was a remembrance. It was a reminder of what God had been faithful to do all of his life and all the promises that he kept so that when God began to lead him to do something that had never been heard of, to build a boat, nobody knew what a boat was. There never had been a boat because it was going to rain. There had never been rain. Nobody knew what rain was. In other words, God was calling Noah to do these things that no one had ever seen, no one had ever heard of, no one had ever ever had any kind of idea. It had to be the most insane thing that a person could have done. But I guarantee you, Noah looked back on all of the promises of God. Every time he connected with God, he looked back on every promise that had ever been kept and knew that all the promises that he had made would be kept. You go on that, you go down to Abraham. You know, one of my favorite stories with Abraham is when, when God gets ready to uh, wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah. It's so very interesting. He says, Look, I, I've got to talk to Abraham. He, he's my friend. I can't do this if I don't let Abraham know what I'm about to do. And, um, and so God warns Abraham. Now, what's interesting, Abraham, along with Lot, is a type of the rapture because, because of this warning, Lot and his family, they escaped the destruction that came upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Some people would have you believe that the rapture is just something that appeared uh, around the 14, 1500s. It was just something that was made up. No, this, is, this has been in the Bible from the very beginning, the second coming of the Lord Jesus, the rapture. All of these things have always been in the Scripture. And I'm telling you what, if we all walk with God and keep, keep reminding ourselves of all the places where he is faithful, we will look at 
these scriptures and these promises and 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 we won't ridicule them we won't put them down we'll be able to trust them and and, and then of course we we so then of course we have this thing here oh by the way let me say this also about abraham one of the reasons god considered abraham to be such a friend is because he said that abraham would teach his children so that the promises that god had made to uh, his offspring could come to pass. You know, when I, by the way, when I think about the rapture, when I think about what's coming, now keep in mind, the rapture and the second coming are not the same thing. And most of the confusion and most of what seems to be contradictions and teachings about the second coming and the rapture are because we roll them into one and we think that this is, that, that this is just one event. Well, I'm going to tell you this. Now, this is my opinion. In my opinion, Many people who do believe in a rapture are going to struggle to be ready for the rapture because unlike Abraham, they're not going to teach their family. They're not going to equip their family. And, and so, so it's going to make it very difficult for God to fulfill the promises that he is making to them and their families. You know, you know, I have the promise of God in, in my heart about my family, about my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, but I also know that part of that depends on me seeking God and following God and walking this out in my life. So, so you got Abraham, you got Moses, you got Elijah, you got Jesus, and then you've got you. Now, the question is this, are you a friend of God? Now, I'm not saying legally. Many, many people will say, yeah, of course I'm a friend of God. Jesus said we were friends. And blah, blah, blah. Well, no, I, I understand that. I understand it positionally that we are friends of God. But my question is this, is your relationship a friend of God? Is your relationship uh, a relationship where you talk, where you meet face to face and you communicate heart to heart and God teaches you about what's coming next? You know, uh, I, I, I've, I've just got to tell you, over the years, many people have come to me. They wanted a lot of advice for business and and uh, ministry building and that sort of thing. And the honest truth is, I, I don't really know that much about it. I just know when God warns me about something. I know when God tells me that something's coming that is going to come, and I know it interested enough to always prepare for it because we are friends. I am not smart enough to enjoy the level of effectiveness and success that I've had in business and in the ministry and in, and in so many other areas of my life. But I know somebody who is smart enough, and I'm willing to listen to him and I remind myself, every time I spend time with him, I remind myself and I acknowledge his faithfulness, how he always comes through. He always does what he says he's going to do. And then that, I'm telling you, that provokes my heart, always know and trust that what he has promised will yet come to pass. In John chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus said this. He said, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain. I love it. He wants his joy in us. It doesn't matter if we're uh, up to our eyeballs in the tribulation. It doesn't matter if we're up to our eyeballs in persecution. It doesn't matter what's going on. He wants us to be able to maintain his joy in our own lives and our own heart. And he says, and also that your joy may be full. Now listen to this. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that they lay down uh, their life for their friends. Now, it's really interesting. This word, this word agape here, or this word love actually comes from, from the verb agapeo. Now, there are, there are 
at least four different words for love that are used in the New Testament. They all have slightly different meanings, and it's very, very important to know which which one we're talking about here if 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 we want to apply these ourselves. Now, the word agape, when it is a noun, it means to hold in high regard. It means to um, to consider precious and to consider valuable. So, so, so God is a God of agape, and it is always his character to, uh, to hold us in high regard, to consider us value, to consider us, to consider us precious. That's the agape love of God. But now when you see the word agape, agapeo in the verb form, this is where action is taken, where you are, uh, where you are treating someone as if they're precious. You are you are giving yourself to uh, them for the value that you have for them and, and for the preciousness that, that you seek to uh, uh, expect with them. So he says, this is my commandment. I want you to have this incredible value, this preciousness, this high regard for one another. I want you to have it to such a degree that you will lay down your life for your friends. Now, the word friends comes from the Greek word phileo, which also can be a word that is sometimes translated as love. What's really interesting is that while agape is unconditional, agape is about my character, agape is about how I how I view you, how I choose to relate to you, the word uh, phileo gets in, it's a, it's a word based on reciprocation, where basically my, my, the degree that I'm going to open up to you, the degree that I'm going to express, the, have these feelings for you, uh, is all going to be based on how we are we relating to one another. Now, Jesus goes on through this, and basically he says, he says, you're my friends, verse 14, if you do whatever I command you. Now, well, wait a minute. If we're friends, why is he commanding something of us? Well, this gets into that whole thing that where we have that inability to understand what it would mean to have a, a, a royal friend, to, to have a divine friendship, a divine friendship where we never lose sight of the fact that he is our Lord, that it is his cause, it is his mission, it is his purpose that we're living for and that we are that we are giving ourselves to. And so, yes, in a divine friendship, we actually realize that he has a purpose. And, and if we want this friendship to flow the to his ultimate fulfillment, we want to give ourselves to the same purposes and to the same causes uh, that uh, that that God gives Himself to. Now, what's interesting, and I, I don't have enough time to go into this. I will not audio. He says, "He says I've called you friends for all things that I've heard from my Father. I have made known to you. In other words, I am going to teach you every single thing you're ever going to need to know." I'm going to teach you what you need for protection. I'm going to teach you what you need for leadership. I'm going to teach you what you need to live the best quality of life possible. So we are called into this divine friendship where it's like uh, like the Daddy G that I mentioned or the Gandhi G that I mentioned. And I've seen Indian children do this where they take a father's hand and, and touch it to their forehead. And they call him Daddy G. They call him Daddy because that's the casual, personal, intimate but then they call them the G to remind themselves that they honor him and they 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 glorify him. I got news for you. God has called us into an intimacy with him where we share his purpose and we make this journey with him and we walk with him 
and he teaches us everything that we're going to need to know about life and about godliness and about health and about happiness and about all the all the relationships that we need listen be sure and check this out go back and listen to this several times don't forget to get the audio series and i'll be talking to you again next week share this with as many people as you think it will help thanks for listening to the weekly impact ministries world changers podcast with dr jim richards if you like what you've just heard we encourage you to share our web address www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com with friends and colleagues Be sure to check out the resources section of our website from previous broadcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.